Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back to today, your love tomorrow, the World Series. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we're recording a little bit earlier in the week than we have uh, recently, but there's there's some news to discuss. Some very major news. Uh, the Mets reportedly—I don't think it's still been officially announced yet by the team—but the Mets have come to an agreement with David Stearns to be their president at baseball operations. It is a five-year contract, reported to be the highest-paid front office contract in sports history. We'll see about that or at least baseball history. Um, we had talked about this in the podcast last week and expressed optimism for this. And, um, you know, we're hopeful in general about the Mets finding a president of baseball operations, even if it wasn't Stearns. But now that we know it is Stearns, how are you feeling about this decision? Does this feel like a good day for Mets fans? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think this is something that felt like it was in the works at various points over the last couple of years. And I don't think there's somebody better that they could have gotten for the role. Uh, obviously we are not uh, privy to <laughs> like every single executive in the game uh, and, and what they're like, but we, you know, we know the backstory that he grew up a Mets fan. Uh, we know he's been successful in his career as an executive. Uh, in baseball and and the Brewers who, uh, you know, they're not the Marlins or the Rays or anything when it comes to spending, but he's done pretty well there with a a team that doesn't spend like the Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, and so on. So on that note, um, in his time there, they have never been higher than 16th in terms of team spending. They're always in the bottom half of the league during Stearns' time there. Yeah, and I I don't want the Mets to go that route at all. Like, oh. It's just not necessary. But the idea of um, a very successful baseball operations executive uh, paired with an owner who is willing to spend money, I, I, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. I think it's... Um, there's never any guarantee that any individual hiring or, or signing or trade is going to uh, make things much better. But I don't know. I don't think the Mets could have done any better here. And, um, you know, going back to the earliest reports about him being of interest, it was all about the contract with the Brewers and sort of waiting that out. Yes. Um, and, yeah, here we are. Um, so I, I hope it's the right move. Um, you know, some of the hirings that earlier in the Cohen era obviously blew up uh, very much in their face. But uh, to the extent that we know anything about 
Stearns, uh, there, there's nothing, you know, there, there, there hasn't been anything that rises to the level of any of those past hirings uh, early in the Cohen era. Well, so. And we should say that maybe the reason those Cohen hirings didn't work out is because they really wanted David Stearns. And when they couldn't get him, they were settling for whatever was left. Right. Yeah. A couple of notes I, I want to bring up here. I, I, I did a... Uh, I did a relatively deep dive on Stearns before we did it. We did a bonus podcast for our patrons, uh, patreon.com slash home run applesauce about this the other night. And so Stearns was working in the Brewers organization before he was named GM there. And when he was named GM, he fired, I think it was five sevenths of the coaching staff. Uh, the, the scouting director, I believe, um, he made sweeping changes, and this is from an organization that he was in, and so presumably knew, you know, what was. It's gonna take him time to learn how the Mets operate, right? That's just how new jobs work. But this is a job he already knew, and it seemed like he had a very clear vision for this team, for his team, and did not really care about uh, keeping the status quo or anything like that. He also turned over 50% of the 40-man roster in his first offseason as GM for the Brewers. Now, he will not be operating in the GM position. It is it is suspected that Billy Epler will remain in that position, at least for now, uh, at least for a, a year, I'd say, to to help sort of acclimate Stearns to the job. But if, if Stearns is willing to clean house that much in an organization that he was part of, I can only imagine that he's going to be making, if not that drastic certainly he will be making major changes to the the, the staff um on, on in all facets of the baseball operations you know there are some folks that are saying that you know, they'll never admit it because it will it will be tampering or however you want to say it but that you know, the Mets fired a fair amount of of their front office staff in the last few weeks some are saying that maybe Stearns had something to do with that that they asked him who the, who he wanted to keep around, and he said, you know, not these people, and that's why they have already been shown the door. Um, the reason I'm bringing all this up is that I think for a lot of people, they take an approach of the new job of you don't change too much too quickly. When you're the new boss, you ease into things. You, you get to know how the system operates, and I'm sure there'll be some of that, but I get the impression that Stearns is going to come in and basically remake the organization from the ground up. Is that the similar vibe that you get from him? Yeah, I think so. Um, will be very interesting to see. I mean, it's been a few years now um, since we took that very brief trip down to spring training before the, <laughs> the entire world changed. Yep. Um, but, you know, even, even just getting to uh, a few games in Binghamton this year, um, you know, not that, any of them necessarily know who I am, but there are some faces around that are like, Oh yeah, I, I don't even know the, the name, but like that coach or that training staff member or whatever, there are still familiar faces that have been in the organization for a long time. And um, that, that, that always, was, that was during the Brody Van Wagenen era. So that was still the Wilpons. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, it's an interesting philosophical thing. You, you come in uh, institutional knowledge versus uh, cleaning house, right? <laughs> like, where, where, what's the right balance to strike? Um, so I'll, I'll be curious to see uh, 
who the Mets bring in under uh, Stearns. Obviously, we'll hear about some of the higher profile hirings. Um, I'm really curious as a longtime fan of Carlos Beltran, um, you know, just to see how how that interaction goes. And uh, is that somebody that Stearns sees as um, potentially getting back into the managerial mix after briefly serving in the role? Uh, but not in any game situation, <laughs> um, you know, but the, the Mets have had Beltron back, uh, you know, in the organization in some capacity. Uh, I know he had spent a lot of time in Syracuse uh, earlier this year, you know, being around the, uh, the prospects who started the year there, but what does that look like? And it's, it's a big organization. Every every team is, even after Major League Baseball, um, foolishly, of course, in my opinion, trimmed all of those affiliates all over the country. Um, there's still a lot of positions from president of baseball ops in Queens down to uh, you know every staff member who's out there either uh, on the field or in the dugout with uh, the Cyclones and the the St. Lucie Mets and the rookie league, um, you know, teams. Yeah. So curious to hear how that all goes. Um, Selfishly, as long as he doesn't have any issue with the Mets, uh, I think pretty good setup with which affiliates they kept. (laughs) Then, then, you know, that, I'll be okay. Don't don't mess anything up in Binghamton. Um, <laughs> yeah, as a recently uh, full time upstate resident, I can see why you would want to uh, keep that one where it is. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I I mean your your comments pretty much answer this question for me, but I, I want to ask it a little bit more directly here. Do you think there is any chance that Buckshaw Walter manages the twenty twenty four Mets? Um. I do think there's a chance, um, I, uh, but I feel like it's more likely that they offer the Terry Collins sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, uh, last night's game, I was listening, I listened exclusively to it on the radio, and uh, it was an entertaining broadcast, really, start to finish. And it's, it's been a while since I've done just radio. Uh, normally, um, you know, over the course of a summer, the Mets are competitive. There are a lot of games that I listen to on the radio, but uh, I'll admit that I haven't necessarily caught every pitch of August and September this year. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, during the broadcast, uh, you know, Howie Rose was talking about Buck Showalter uh, and his his eye for talent, and um, you know, sort of it, it was all for, uh, like within a discussion of DJ Stewart and changes that show Walter saw in Stewart having managed him in Baltimore several years ago uh, and now getting the opportunity to do so again uh, right now in, you know, in Queens. Um, and I, I do think there's value in that. I, I don't know how much of this season you can sort of pin on him, uh, but it, that's like the uh, eternal question in major league baseball or, or any level of baseball, really. Um, you know, how much effect 
does the manager have on what's happening on the field? So were you watching Monday night's game? I have a reason for asking. Uh, no, I was at Mr. Bungle. Yes. On Monday okay. night. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Okay. So uh, it, it wound up not meaning anything, but um, I, I think it was Vogelbach who walked with two outs in the ninth. There, there was a man on second. Uh, sorry, rather there was, there was Mauricio was on first and then Mauricio stole second. And then they walked to Vogelback, uh, and they brought in LaCastro as a pinch runner. And then a double steal happened because they were playing behind Castro at first base. And the Mets were down by one run, so they're putting the winning run on second base where a base hit scores them. And Gary and Keith were as angry as they've maybe ever been on the broadcast about managerial malfeasance, just saying, you know, what are you thinking doing this? And you know, we always ask how much how much credit or blame a manager should get for a win or a loss. I feel like it is so rare, but that was an actual instance where the manager could have been blamed for that loss. It didn't happen because the Mets wanted about not scoring, but it was it was as clear an example of managerial fuck up as you're ever going to see in baseball. But I agree with you; like it, it is hard to, to gauge you know, how much of this season is Buckshaw Walters' fault. I and mean, I think if the Mets were totally healthy. I think they'd be in a playoff position regardless of Buckshaw Walter right now. It's yeah. just, but but I, but I do think that Buck, you know, he he unfortunately has the the aura of a a pitcher that's I mean, a pitcher a manager rather that maybe time has passed him by a little bit, but he's not quite managing the same game that the rest of the league is playing, and uh, you know, no offense to Buck, he was never the greatest in-game strategist, but the last couple of seasons, he has been particularly uh, shaky on some in-game stuff. So, I mean, I, I think it's almost, I think it's a pretty safe bet to think the buck is not coming back. But, you know, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, like you said, he gets the Terry Collins role and does is given something to do in the organization. But, right. you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, now, speaking of uh, this season and uh, just general Mets, uh, you know, situations here, the Mets obviously sold off a ton of pieces at the trade deadline, one of which was Max Scherzer, who was traded to the Texas Rangers. And Scherzer is done for the regular season and unlikely for the postseason after having a strain of the Terrace Major. If you recall, folks, that is the same injury that Justin Verlander had that cost him the first month plus of the season. Um, this, I mean, the Rangers have had a bad July and August, and they went from sole possession of first place to are they are they still in a playoff position as of today? I can't. I'm gonna look up now. Yeah, I believe uh, they were at least at the start of the day. Yeah, um, but they're hanging on like a thread to that right now yeah it's I, I i guess the good news for them is that it's three teams for two spots uh the rangers yes. mariners and blue jays the red sox are not um mathematically out of it yet but they're out of it right exactly just like the mets are not mathematically out of it yet right um yeah the mets yankees and red sox are all technically alive 
<laughs> Imagine if one of those teams made the playoffs. That'd be wild. Um, but yeah, so Texas, they have a half game lead on Seattle for the last place in the, the, the for the second position rather in the playoffs. But I mean, they they are they're hanging on by a thread, and to lose Scherzer for probably the rest of the season, no matter how deep that season goes, that's that's a real blow. That's yeah. uh, that's terrible for them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, not rooting for injuries, of course, and of course. I, I wasn't rooting against Scherzer at all. But um, can you imagine if they just stood pat at the deadline and then that happened, and that would be hanging over his final year in, uh, you know, in a Mets uniform next year? Uh, just kind of glad that the Mets. Not glad that they wound up in the situation they were in, but uh, since they were there, I'm still glad they made uh, that decision to flip those pitchers for prospects and to get real prospects, even even though it costs you know a lot of money out of Steve Cohen's budget. Um, yeah, still happy they did it, and it sucks for Scherzer. I know a lot of Mets fans between the wild card game last year. Um, and then just the way he talked about the trade and leaving the organization at the time he left, which I didn't think was really all that bad, but I know a lot of mess fans sort of developed a hatred for him, uh, over the course of the last year. And I, I didn't, I, I didn't have any particular interest in the Rangers doing well, um, after the trade, but, just seems like the Mets maybe dodged a little bit of a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a very, very, it's, it's a very weird year for, for injuries in general, but specifically pitcher injuries. I just feel like I had never heard of this injury before earlier this season. And then two X, two Mets have it in one year. Um, it's, uh, it's always, it's always dangerous to have an older player, to trade for an older player, but this seems like just really particularly bad luck for the Rangers. And, uh, you know, I hope for their sake that they don't, uh, if they, if they miss the playoffs just because of this, that's really, that's bad. I mean, you know, talking about, uh, David Stearns, I always want to call him John Stearns because of the former Mets catcher. But, um, you know, when, when Stearns was the, when he stepped down from his position at the end of the last season with the Brewers, it was in part because they traded Josh Hader and did not really get anything, not any anything for him, but this that the the rest of the year did not go the way they had planned because one trade sort of sunk their season. And while I don't think that you can say that of the Bre- of the Rangers rather, because the Rangers have been terrible, while Scherzer's been pretty good it just feels emblematic of of making a big move gambling your future for a shot at at, a, at the present and for that just so spectacularly failing yeah. you don't, you don't like to see it even if it's for a team you don't really care about right yeah uh, you hear it fairly regularly but good trades are the ones that work out for both teams and yep. yeah I'm not going to lose. And look, sleep next over it, year maybe. It, it, no, no, no. It sucks. <laughs> you 
you know, theoretically, by the end of next season, they should have both Scherzer and DeGrom back. But DeGrom, who knows? I mean, yeah, recovery from Tommy John is is right. never simple, especially at his age and his and his amount of of Tommy John's he's had. Right. Well, so. yeah, the second time is age. And, and I think at least over the last few years, we've collectively learned that coming back from it is not a gimme. Um, yep. I think the majority of pitchers still do come back from it and, and do so fairly successfully relative to where they were before. But uh, it's, it's not just a straight up guarantee that, Hey, 12 months from now, that pitcher is going to be back out there and, uh, you know, performing at the same level they were at. So with DeGrom, I think the rest of his career, it would be shocking to see him pitch a full season again. And that sucks. It does. One of the best to ever do what he's done and really has no path, uh, even with modest health, baseball health. Obviously, he's, you know, healthy as a human being. But sure. uh you figure he would have had a shot at one or two more Cy Young awards even after leaving the Mets. Uh, I mean, who knows if, if he had not had all of those vague injuries that caused him to miss all that time, he might still very well be with the Mets, but yep. uh, up until that point, we, he has that amazing first half in, was it 21? Yes. Yeah. The, just, like the, just, the, the first half that, that no one's ever seen before. It was so great, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Absolutely incredible. Uh, if he finishes that season, he wins another Cy Young. And then you can get into the possibility of a Hall of Fame case being built just on the three Cy Young awards. Right. Uh, but you you would have figured that he'd have a chance at more of them even after that. Because up to that point, he did not look like somebody who was slowing down at all. It, uh, I mean, literally, his velocity was getting better. Um his strikeout and walk rates were getting better. It was just an absolute monster of a pitcher who was really defying the aging curve completely and, and taking all the knowledge that you build up and the things, um, you know, if I had known then what I know now, right. The, the cliche of learning all that and being able to wishing that you could get back out and take all that knowledge and have your, you know, 10 or 20 year old younger uh, body to, to go out and play the sport. And uh, he, he seemed to be living that experience that he knew what he was doing up there. And he was just, he was just going to dominate a game. Um, yeah. It still sucks. It sucks that he wasn't a career Met, although I fully understand why the Mets, you know, chose to let him, let him walk when they did. Um, but I, I hope he gets to pitch something that resembles a full season again. I just don't think it's going to happen. And you have to think that Rangers fans are like, please don't ever get an ex-Met pitcher again, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Scherzer changes their mind on that next year and DeGrom makes it back late in the season and they're contending again. And um, I will have to admit that, uh, when DeGrom signed and there was a lot of uproar, I, I, I wasn't necessarily outraged over it, but uh, when DeGrom talked about 
the vision of what the Rangers were building and everything. And they had won 67 games last year and everybody sort of pounced on that. Like, Oh yeah, the winning team. Okay, Jake. Right. And, and then, uh, that turned out to be accurate. It's just been done without him. And now it'll have to be done without Max Scherzer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So I want to throw some, uh, some, uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to hype yourself up here for a second, which is the uh, the Ronnie Mauricio home run for earlier this week. Um, even if Mauricio isn't a great player, you have been one of the most vocal people to saying, call him up, see what he can do. And he hit a bomb the other day, and it was a lot of fun. So go ahead and take your victory lap here, Chris Stradamus. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, that was a shot, too. Yeah, right? it was. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, it, Hey, it's been a very interesting start. I, we're still way, way, way too early in this to uh, reach any conclusions, but I think it's encouraging that we've seen some power on display. Uh, I mean, hell he, he's hitting three Oh six. If you're into batting average, he's getting on base at a three forty two clip. Um, to me, what's encouraging and it, it's got to happen over the course of the rest of the season. And then obviously, beyond just a month of play. Uh, but his strikeout and walk rates are fairly in line with what he was doing in Syracuse. Uh, and I, I know it's not like he was um, tearing the cover off the ball down there in, in a way that you just couldn't deny him the opportunity to come up. Obviously, it, it took a while for the Mets to give him this shot. Uh, and it sucks that he's sick right now but coming off his first major league home run but uh, yeah again it's very very early but taking that step up where he really improved his uh strikeout rate from uh 21 to 22 and then improved it even a little bit more in 23 and he was doing that as he was moving up levels that's it's an encouraging sign. I, I get that he's not a perfect player. Um, and maybe he won't hit. Uh, I think when he first came up, I said, if he hit five home runs and sold five bases, right, that that would be sort of a tantalizing player to think about. Um, but he's held his own in the, in the field. He hasn't looked like a liability at second base. And he's got the one home run. He's stolen four bases. Um, it's, it's not uh, – I'm trying to think of who the last prospect was that, that came up that – and we talked about this a little bit in recent episodes. That there's not necessarily an exact comp within the Mets organization over the last couple of decades. Um, but, yeah, hey, yeah I'll, I'll take the good start. And if he even turns out to just be this good over the long term, uh, that's a really nice player to have, whether he's a starter or not. I think that getting back to David Stearns a little bit, the, the organization has some very interesting decisions that they will have the luxury of making. I don't want to say that they need to make uh, with the prospects that they've brought in this year at the trade deadline, uh, some of the other ones who are already in the organization, and then the, the sort of what if. Right. What if Beatty turns it around and figures it out? I'm certainly not giving up on his career, despite how sort of rocky it's gone. 
this year. Um, but, but what if Mauricio sticks as a major league player? Beatty takes the step forward, and some of these infielders, uh, Jet Williams has just gotten promoted to Binghamton essentially to get there and play with the team for a bit before the playoffs. And he's just been amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's jumped up two ranks within this season, uh, but he's an inf- infielder. Uh, Luis Angel Acuna is an infielder. Jeff McNeil uh, hopefully will bounce back, uh, but has got a pretty damn good track record as a major league hitter and, and primarily plays second base, but obviously is versatile and can play the corner outfield spots. Um, a lot of these things will sort themselves out, but there is a chance that the Mets could have a group of players who um, are redundant, and that's a really nice thing to have. Uh, I, I hope they're not in a rush to trade anybody away. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if a if something comes along that you can't refuse, that's that's just the way it goes. But um, yeah, and we'll dedicate more time to this. I think as the off season officially begins but uh to me you got to keep pete alonzo anchoring that infield with lindor of course yes um but yeah there's a scenario where they have three viable uh major league second basemen all in the organization at the same time and and hey that'd be a nice problem to have absolutely yeah yeah i mean i i think it's too early for anything with mauricio right um as much as I do love your your Christian Amis uh, persona, I also recognize that a lot of people who know a lot more about this stuff than I do feel like he is not, you know, a viable major league star in the future. And the truth probably falls somewhere in between, right? He's probably not going to be fantastic, and he's not going to be terrible. He's going to be fine, and or he's going to be at least, you know, have some have some value and utility for the team, and that's and that's a good thing, but. I think the point that you and I were trying to make earlier this year still very much stands, which is that there is no better time than right now to be finding out who Mauricio is. The rest of the season means nothing. There is no reason to be holding him down. Do this all now, right? Get it out in the open now. Let him play his way through September and see what it looks like at the end, at the other end of the month. Um, I, I'm glad they're doing this because it just seemed to me there was no reason not to. But yeah, yeah. Uh, last on the hit list before we wrap up today, we just want to talk for a minute about how bad Drew Smith has been. <laughs> I know this isn't oh, yeah. this isn't exactly a uh, like a, a fun topic to end on, but uh, on Monday night, Drew Smith caught cost the Mets the game. That was the second time in a row that a Drew Smith appearance led to the Mets losing. And uh, one of my favorite things to check out on Baseball Reference, and it's something that's I think new to last season, maybe is the when you log into someone's baseball reference page, you see their last five games. I find that very useful for the things that we do on this show. So he pitched. He did not give up an earned run in his last appearance. I mentioned on Monday you have an earned run that lost the game. On the ninth, he gave up four earned runs. Um, he The big thing for me is he's not striking anybody out. He only has two strikeouts in his last five appearances and only 57 strikeouts in 51 appearances throughout the year. And that is down from his his career norm a little bit, but it just seems to me like Drew Smith is someone, you know, he's been hurt a little bit. 
He's been inconsistent. And I, you know, again, like I am all for trying this stuff out in in September, right? I, I think giving him more high leverage positions in September is a good decision to make to see about what he has in the tank. However, I think that this is a pretty good indication that maybe Drew Smith, uh, high leverage reliever, is not going to be something we're going to see down the road. And that's coming from a guy who had predicted at one point in the season that he would be the closer. So um, this is me eating crow, but, uh, you know, I, <laughs> it, 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 you have to be able to call it when you see it wrong sometimes. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I try to stay on top of that, but. I hope I do a good job of it. Yeah, myself. I think you absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A- any Drew Smith thoughts or no? No, I mean, it. he kind of, because of the timing of how his season went and the Mets season went, I mean, he was always a guy who seemed like he was maybe pitching a little bit above his head. Uh, and he's always had a little bit of a home run issue, but this is the most innings he's thrown in a major league season. Um, it's his highest single season ERA. Uh, they're at a point where, um, I mean, they don't they don't have to let him go. He's eligible for arbitration next year. He's got options, but it does feel like the kind of guy who they might let go, and we should just not be surprised or upset if some other team picks him up and and he's you know great for a year or two. Um, but we've seen, I think a good number of instances recently where a former Met has gone elsewhere and found success, but it hasn't been long-term success. Uh, like we're, we're all afraid of the Justin Turner scenario, right? Right. Or but, from, from further back and relevant for the bullpen, the Darren O'Day scenario. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, uh, I mean, O'Day, part of it was how lengthy his career was and how good he was throughout all of it. Yeah. Uh, but part of it was just the ridiculous circumstances that, that caused led, him yeah, exactly. to be yeah. let go. Um, I mean, I like when the Mets let Justin Turner go, I still think that was a def- – you could defend that decision. Yes. Um, the Nobody, absolutely nobody saw that that coming. I mean, he barely even got signed before the right. next season. Um, and then he broke out. So, um, yeah. Well, Chris, it's the time of the week. What is your music pick for us? Um, I'm going to go with an album that I thought I had recommended, but according to our spreadsheet, I did not. Uh, because this week I mentioned the Mr. Bungle show earlier. And Battles opened for them. Uh, it was my second time seeing Battles. The first was also as an opener, I think, for Primus. Definitely for an incarnation of Les Claypool. Um, and both times, they just blew me away. Um, consider me what, 16 years late based on the al- album <laughs> recommendation here. Because, I mean, I, I, I knew the name. I knew the album cover. Um, it, it, to me, it's, it's fairly distinct. Um, and the concept isn't that crazy, but it's just got to look that uh, I knew the album cover better than the actual music uh, for most of this time. But uh, yeah, the record is mirrored. Uh, Battles put it out in 2007 and uh, everything clicked for me the first time I saw them play live when they played Atlas, which is maybe their best song and, and 
certainly one of the best songs on this record. Um, and they still, they still play pretty heavily from it. They, you know, they've got a few albums, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess I just needed to maybe be a little bit older to fully appreciate them or whatever. Uh, but I had, I found out we're watching them play uh, back at the Claypool show, whichever, whichever band it was. And they get to the song Atlas and I'm like, Oh, holy shit. Uh, I know this song. It was used for a le- level of uh, little big planet on PS3. <laughs> and it was like a standout song in that game. So it's not surprising that it came from a band uh, that is now, sort of gain that status in my mind. So um, by no means did I discover this band, but I'm really glad that I finally uh, actually listened to them and gained an appreciation for them. Um, so yeah, again, Mirrored by Battles. Yeah, that That is a great album that I need to revisit. I mean, I've, I've heard it many times. I own the album, but I have not heard it in a very, very long time. So I am looking forward to checking that out. Um, I'm going with the, with the, with a retro throwback this week, and it's one that I've heard a million times. I know you've heard it a million times, but every now and then, it's nice to be reminded of how fucking awesome early Van Halen is. And uh, I am uh, my cover band is playing a gig in a few weeks at a fundraiser for some friends that are running for local office here, and there's a little break in the show where just some local folks are playing with. There's a, a little band of folks who all live in my town, and one of the guys in town has an amazing voice, and he he wanted to sing a song, so he's going to be singing the Van Halen version of You Really Got Me. And so I've been just playing along to it to get ready for this gig, and I've listened to the first Van Halen self-titled album a bunch this week, and um, I am not a, a sort of a hair metal guy. I think that Van Halen totally transcends that. Anyone who doesn't agree with me is wrong about that. They are obviously a much different beast than a Cinderella or a poison or etc. I just think the first four or five Van Halen records are such a singular experience. You get an incredible guitar player, a good drummer and a good bass player with a ridiculous, insane front man who <laughs> like vacillates between sounding incredible and sounding incredibly silly. Uh, but just like if if you go through this this first Van Halen record, running with the devil, eruption, you really got me. Ain't talking about love. I'm the one. Jamie's crying. Atomic punk. Feel your love tonight. Little dreamer. Ice cream man and on fire. There's not a loser in that entire batch, um, and it's pretty varied. I mean, feel your love tonight could have been like a. I'm trying to think of of a band from the early '70s, like almost. I don't want to say a soft rock band, but like a a poppier band, and then something like Atomic Punk is so very different than that. And Eruption changed the way people play guitar forever. And Running with the Devil still has one of the best introductions in all of music. And Jamie's Crying was sampled by fucking Tone Loke, and uh, it's just such a fun, great album. And uh, yeah, uh, Van Halen is somehow underrated. I don't know how that's possible when it's a consensus that their guitar player is one of the best guitar players in the history of the world. Um, but, you know, it's just it's just the it, it somehow they're underrated, uh, maybe because of all the craziness with different lead singers and all that in, in later years. But, yeah, my pick real simple Van Halen one 
if you somehow have never heard this album, I, I don't know what to say to you. Rectify that right away. And, you know, while the weather is still warm, before we get fully into flannel and pumpkin spice season, this weekend, if it's a little bit warm and you're outside with a beer, you could do much worse than throwing on the Van Halen self-titled record. The first one. Do not bother with Van Halen 3 <laughs> with Gary Sharon. No offense to Gary Sharon, but uh, Van Halen 1 or Van Halen 2, I'll, I'll accept for your weekend listening. So enjoy that Van Halen, all of you folks. Uh, and that's it. Thank you for listening to the show this week. We appreciate it. Go to homerandapplesauce.com. Donate for Dollars for Dingers 2023. Follow Chris on social media at Chris McShane. I am on social media at Brian Denap. And until next time, let's go Mets. 